You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we are living, church, in interesting times. If you were to click on a a Fox News app or a CNN app or a Newsmax app or whatever news outlet you use, you're going to see some pretty astounding things. I mean, it, you know, I get it. We have heard and I have said before in my lifetime, wow, man, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of things happening. The coming of the Lord is soon and, and we, we kind of begin to wonder about, you know, current events. And, but, you know, it seems as if, again, it's, it, it could be validated to say that never before have we lived in a day where it just, there is so many chaotic things happening, uh, in a sense, fulfillment of prophecy, so many things happening at one time. And it's the, 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 throughout the uh, news this week, a lot of bad news. In fact, uh, flooding the news media this week has been a, a girl that's missing and trying to look for a boyfriend. And it's just devastating. It's, it's, we kind of know how it's going to end. You get the feel. It's not going to end good. There's so many evil things taking place in our world today. So I want to give you this morning some refreshing news. Some refreshing news in a very obviously difficult day and a troubling time that we live in. Now, we're going to uh, encourage you with John, uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30 on the screen first. Just a great reminder that the light of the eye rejoices the heart and good news refreshes. Good news refreshes. Man, I don't, you know what? I have to hear enough bad news. I do. In fact, it seems as if that you know, if you were to leverage the, the, the amount of people that kind of are more excited to tell me something bad than good, man, I, 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 I don't mean to say this in a way that would discourage you, but huh, it seems like people are more excited. Have you heard? Did you hear? You're not going to believe this preacher, but so-and-so. And you're like, hey, wait, time out, time out. <laughs> There's enough bad news going around that you and I contribute at all to it. And it seems as if There's enough bad news out there that if we could turn the tape... By the way, bad news does not refresh. That's right. It doesn't refresh. Good news refreshes. And so we're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13, which is interestingly enough, most of the chapter you might call bad news. I mean, to be honest, if if you read John chapter 13, you might think, wow, Good news in John 13. There's, there's quite a bit of bad news in John 13. But you know what's interesting is in John chapter 14 and verse 1, it, it also reminds us to let not your hearts be troubled. Hey, listen, I know there's some things here that are taking place. Here's some, some events that took place back in the Bible days in the life of Christ. But let not your hearts be troubled. So I want to give you some good news in troubling times. Good news. You know, over 2,000 years ago, there was a mother who gave birth to a beautiful, bouncing baby boy. Now, this week, about two days ago, not 2,000 years ago, but about two days ago, Timothy and Diana Gillespie uh, have uh, introduced to our church family a beautiful, bouncing baby boy, Ezekiel James Gillespie. So we got two Ezekiels in the church now, as if one wasn't enough. No, three. We got three Ezekiels. Ezekiel Chittam, Ezekiel Capace, now Ezekiel Gillespie. All right? Isn't that cool? So uh, congratulations, Tim and Diana. If you're listening online, where's the camera? (laughs) Hey, Tim, I did what you told me to do. I mentioned it, okay? All right. And uh, so anyway, 
But 2,000 years ago, another baby, beautiful baby, was born. And this mother, as she introduced this child into the world, she was so excited that she gave him one of the most honored Hebrew names that you could give to any child. She called him, she named him Judas. What a joy as she held little baby Judas in her arms. Now, although it would have been an honored name in that day, no question about it, I've lived 56 years. And in all my 56 years, I have never met a boy by the name of Judas. I've known boys with Bible names. I've met Andrews and Peters and James and Johns and Matthias and Josiahs and Ezekiels. But I've never met a Judas. Judas was the ultimate tragedy. And while his mother rejoiced at his birth, Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, verse 21, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. You see, Judas's name is the tragic story of, of a lost opportunity. And in every list of the disciples you'll find in Scripture in the New Testament, Judas's name is last. He wanted to be first, no question. He desired to be first. But like Satan will end up being last, Judas ended up being last, and what a tragedy it was. Now, what was Judas's problem? Well, Judas's, Judas wanted a kingdom, but he didn't want a king. Judas wanted everything that Jesus could offer, but he did not want who Jesus was. And so Judas ended up selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You know, I, not, not, that, not that I would want to sell out Jesus for anything, but I guess you might say, you know, it, it, it's kind of an amazing thing that you would sell Jesus for just 30, I mean, maybe a million or, or two million or some magnificent figure, but I'm amazed, but I'm not amazed. Because today, people are selling out Jesus for even less than that. They're selling out Jesus on a Sunday morning for a football game or a golf game or a fishing trip. And and on and on we could go. You see, Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, it's the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes. And this gospel that we're carrying to you this morning, this good news that we sang about a moment ago with enthusiasm and excitement, the church that was born, that we speak about today, that we sing about today, is, is more exciting to me than anything else we could ever be a part of. Boy, it's the power of God into salvation. So listen carefully. The 13th chapter of Judah, John is not important, just like any chapter in Scripture is, is not important because it talks about Judas or anybody else. John chapter 13 is important, not because of what it says about Judas, but because of what it says about Jesus. And I want to give you some refreshing, wonderful news this morning. And I'm going to give it to you. Uh, You know, I don't want to call it, uh, I mean, my name is Eric Capace, and I have pastored the church for 29 years. And a lot of you know me and, 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 and would say, if you've been here for 10, 20, 29 years, 
that there's a, a style that every preacher has. So I guess I'm going to give it to you in Eric Pacey style, which means if I'm giving you good news, I'm going to give it to you in a good news way. I'm going to share it with you like it's good news to me because it is good news to me. But I believe this morning that we can leave this building with an, with an element of, of enthusiasm and excitement in spite of all the troubling things that are happening in our world today. There is room for refreshment in the house of God. And remember, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. John chapter 13, we see a contrast between Judas and Jesus. And so as we give these six refreshing principles, we may be referring to some of that contrast as we walk through the passage of Scripture. It's very obvious that Judas was nothing like Jesus, and obviously Jesus, nothing like Judas. But pay close attention as we walk through the text here and discover these six refreshing truths that Jesus gave us that are going to carry our hearts through very troubled times. First principle, are you ready? Here's the first bit of good news. If I, had, if I was a newspaper boy, I'd be saying, good news, good news, read all about it. Here it is, number one, God is never surprised. God is never surprised. Look at John chapter 13 with me, if you would, please, in verse number 3. And, and let's emphasize the capital, uh, the words that are capitalized as we, as we build on this passage. Jesus, knowing that the Father, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, Jesus did. Jesus laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist. Now, again, the point I want to make here is the knowledge that Jesus had, the knowledge that Jesus still has. So down to verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus is saying here, I am going to be betrayed. But I know that I'm going to be betrayed, that the Scripture, he said, might be fulfilled. Church, the betrayal of Jesus did not take him by surprise. Because God is never surprised. If you look back at John chapter 6, a few chapters earlier, remember this refreshing news. It's such a blessing. God is never surprised. And we read these words in John 6 concerning Judas. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knew from the beginning that Jewish, that Judas rather, was not a believer. Look down at John chapter 6 and verse 70 where Jesus answered and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Listen, though what Judas did surprised all of the other disciples, it did not surprise Jesus. And I love this. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? I love that. I've heard that all my life, but in light of the text and the message and the, and the first principle here, that just rings true this morning. Did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He is, church, the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. God knows the future. And here's the key to it all. John chapter 13 and verse number 19. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you 
may believe that I am he. Jesus here associates himself with the great I am, Jehovah God, the great I am, the father of eternity, who knows the beginning from the end. What an incredible thought. God is never surprised. And though you and I may stay up late sometimes and watch the evening news and wring our hands if we're not careful and and, and nudge our wives and, oh, the world's coming to an end. And look at all these things that should be on the screen now, if Ken told you. Uh, I want you to see him again. All these things that we see and we go, oh, my God, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, This is so serious. I want you to know God's not surprised. God's not surprised. God knows it all. And he knows it all ahead of time. Even the things that you and I have been through this week, even some of the troubles that we've had, some of the heartache that we've experienced in this room, God is not surprised. That's refreshing news. That means a lot to me. It really does. Number two, not only is God never surprised, but second principle, God is always in control. Now, you know what? That's kind of become a cliche lately. I I feel like we throw that out rather flippantly these days. It's just kind of something that's easy to say. Hey, oh yeah, get over it. God's in control. It's going to be okay. God's in control. And to an extent, I get it. It is true. He is in control. But but let's take that to another level. Let's, Let's decide this morning that that's not just something that can flippantly be said without a true appreciation for the truth of it, for the for the doctrine of it, for the theology of it. He is always in control. Look at John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Man, that's an important passage of Scripture because I'm going to tell you something, church. It did not look like that things were in control. I mean, Jesus was about to be arrested. He was about to be beaten. He was about to be drugged into a court. And I mean treated with great hostility. He was going to be crucified. I mean, it did not look like things were in control, but he was in complete control. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that it had come from God and was going back to God. Look at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. And he was. You're right. Jesus said, I am he. He was Lord of the situation that day, and he is Lord of the situation today. Look at verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate uh, my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Church, it may not have looked like he was in control, but he was in total control. What Judas meant for evil, God meant for good. Just like Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. You remember the story, right? And lied about and slandered by, uh, by, by Pharaoh's wife and then drugged to prison and ended up being the salvation of his brothers. And jo- Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then let me give you a great verse. A great, 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 great verse that speaks of God. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. Listen to this good news. Declaring the end from the beginning. 
and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Think about that. We're talking about the God we serve. He says, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish my purpose. Church, God is always in perfect control. Listen to this one. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 4 in verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his own will. As I read this verse, I, I, you know what's in the back of my mind? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Actually, I think I sound pretty good today. Right now, I think I, I mean, usually I'm a little off, but I'm, I think I'm on right now. As we sang that like eight times, there's a buildup, right? And you got Joe over here doing the little, t- then all of a sudden the drums get going. And it's like, by the end of it, you're like, who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one can stop God. Listen to this. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of his earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can stop what God does. God is in control. One more, one more. The Bible speaks of Almighty God as, as Jesus Christ here in Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. When Donald Trump was elected, he was elected because God allowed it. When Joe Biden was elected, he was elected because of, it was according to the counsel of his own will. Look, I don't know who you voted for, but I'll tell you this. God is in control. God is always in control. And he will work all things according to the counsel of his own will. We need to understand that, church. We do. That's good news. That God is never surprised and God is always in control. The Holy Trinity never meets in an emergency session. Never. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. There is no panic in heaven. Only plans. (laughs) No panic. Only plans. And the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I, I was going to put the quote on the screen, but a great preacher who said these words, and I think these are some of the most uh, inspirational, motivational thoughts about our God. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which God's children ought to most earnestly contend for than the doctrine that their master is over all creation, the kingship of God over all the work of his own hands, the throne of God, and his right to sit upon that throne. Praise the Lord. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Listen to this refreshing verse. In the Old Testament, Habakkuk was having, he was living in very difficult days. Habakkuk was living in very troubling times himself. And here's what he said in Habakkuk chapter 3. Here's the bad news. The fig tree is not going to blossom. No fruit on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Fox News is completely negative, and the flock be cut off from the fold. I'm sorry, I added that. And there'll be no herd in the stalls. I mean, it's like, wah, 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 right? 
yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Oh, listen, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Church, God is never surprised. God is always in control. And number three, principle number three, right here in the text, God's sovereignty never cancels man's responsibility. Amen. In God's sovereignty, we see the free will of man. In, in, again, in John chapter 13 and verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. It was prophesied ahead of time what Judas would do. And yet, Judas's actions were not apart from his own will and his own desires. Judas was not a robot. Judas was not an unwilling victim. God's grace over and over again had been offered to Judas. And Jesus endeavored to bring Judas to repentance with love and with pleas and with rebuke. And you can see it, the heart of God for Judas. In verse 5, he was washing Judas's feet. Remember, that was also along with James and John and Andrew and Peter, but Judas too. Oh, Judas got his feet washed. We see it also in verse 11 when he gave all of the disciples a warning, including Judas. Judas got the same warning. In John chapter 20, uh, 13, verse 26, we see this incredible act of love as he did this act of hospitality by giving him that little morsel of bread, extending him, extending to Judas that morsel of bread, which, which back then would have been the ultimate act in hospitality. All of these, all of these were ways that Jesus was saying to Judas, Judas, I love you. I love you, Judas. God is sovereign, but Judas was responsible. And if God was responsible, and if Judas could not choose, then Judas was not responsible, and Judas should be pitied and not judged. But Judas became the traitor of the Lord Jesus Christ by his own choice, by his own free will. God's sovereignty never diminishes man's responsibility. Principle number four, and this is good news. God's authority is never canceled because of man's sin. We see man's sin in this story. It's so evident. John chapter 13 and verse 20, Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And this is what he says. Jesus says to his disciples, truly, truly. I say this to you. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever received, receives me receives the one who sent me. Initially, this was somewhat of a puzzling passage to me as I dove into the passage and began to study. And, and I, I, I became somewhat concerned about why Jesus said these words at this time to his disciples. But I began to realize, as I, as I first of all understood, that God was still in control in this very moment. And because God was in control because of that, God was saying, my authority has not been canceled by what Judas has done. Because I have no doubt in my mind, because I know that, that sometimes I am shaken when I hear the news of man's sin, especially in the ministry. 
And Judas was in the ministry. And I'm going to tell you, I have no doubt that the disciples gathered around that table that day when they heard those words from Jesus, they must have heard and felt maybe some self-doubt. I mean, they said, you know, who, who, who is it? Master, is, is, is it I? Who did this? Who's going to betray you? Almost as if, am I? Sometimes my wife and I will have some discussions and, 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 and you're probably glad you're not there. <laughs> Only because it's like, we hear something and she's like, are you okay? I'm not going to hear nothing about you tomorrow, am I? You say, that's awful. Does she not have any confidence in you? Well, she does, but sometimes it's shaking. Sometimes it can be a little scary when you hear these things and you begin to think your, yourself, is there anything in my life? Is there anything that, that I could be doing? And, and it just it gives you a, a mo- for a moment, and again, it's, it's just we're human, right? And I can imagine these disciples must have had some self-doubt as a result of the scandal that was in the ministry. But Jesus tells them that what Judas has done does not change the call I have on your life. I still have that call, the high calling of the church that Scott talked about a moment ago. As we gather here today in a building and we leave this building as the church to impact this world. We have a calling on us, church. And the calling is the great commission. To give the gospel of Jesus Christ out to everyone in our community. Do you know what Jesus is telling his disciples here? When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. He's telling the disciples, when you preach the gospel, you're representing me. We are living in difficult days. We are. So many preachers, so many pastors committing moral failures and infidelity. Christian character, even in the church, seems to be imploding. Incredible satanic opposition and and, and things caving in. And it's heartbreaking to hear about current betrayal stories. And it breaks our hearts. It breaks my heart. And it's, 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 it's devastating. But I hear the voice of Jesus saying, Eric, I have called you. Eric, Preach the gospel to that church. Give it all you've got, Eric. Yes, take heed lest you fall. And I, I want you to know this morning, I, I don't speak in, in, in any kind of confidence in the flesh. Listen, as I've said in my 29 years of pastoring, multiple times. Listen, don't, don't there, there, there could be a, a very devastating announcement made to our church. I, I've talked to our elders before. And when I finish, I'll start with, you like, guys, this is going to be kind of heavy, and I've got to talk to you. And after, they'll be like, I thought you were going to tell me you were divorcing your wife. <laughs> I'm like, guys, no, it's not that bad. They're like, well, the way you introduced the way you said it, the way you introduced it, the way you kind of said it was going to be heavy, I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. What's he going to say? <laughs> Praise God it wasn't that. But I'm going to tell you, even though I don't stand before you today with any kind of confidence in my flesh, I will tell you this. I'm more confident than ever the calling of God on my life to preach the gospel. I'm more confident than ever the calling of God that whoever receives me is receiving Christ himself. I am representing Jesus Christ. And I'm more excited about it than I've ever been excited about preaching the gospel. And he says that to you this morning. Every one of you, I have called you. 
I have called you. Listen, yes, there are hypocrites. Yes, there are counterfeit Christians. There's counterfeit lying lawyers and, and, and doctors. And, I mean, in every field, there are going to be those who are, who are counterfeits. But by God's grace, may you and I continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank God there were 11 disciples who did not quit. Amen. And by God's grace, neither will I. And by God's grace, neither will you. Principle number five, I want you to see in this story that God's love is undiminished no matter what happens. God's love was unchanged. Look at it in John chapter 13. I want to bring you some more good news. Good news. And after these sayings, and, and underline this if you, if you have a way of underlining it. This is so critical. This is why I love uh, a, a, a Bible in church. I love it. Or, or a tablet or a phone, somewhere you can go back and study this. But underline this. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We'll come back to that in just a moment. He testifies, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. That speaks volumes about Jesus, doesn't it? I guess Judas wasn't getting the cold shoulder. They weren't sure. Who's he talking about? And one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. John, not referring to himself, just a, a tremendously humble servant of God, just the disciple whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Verse 25, so that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Then look at verse 34. Just a few verses down. Look at these powerful statements from Jesus. Jesus says a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Hey, gentlemen, remember this. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Wow. Let's not forget that's in the text. Why was Jesus troubled in his spirit? We read it a moment ago. And Jesus, who was troubled in his spirit... I don't believe it was because he was going to be betrayed. I'm convinced it was because he knew what was going to happen to Judas. He was brokenhearted to see a man so dominated by the power of evil and by the power of Satan that Jesus, he had spent three years, really three and a half years, showing Judas his love. He had treated Judas with such kindness and love, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, knowing that that he was lost. He still loved Judas. And you know that he treated him this way because when Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, not one of the disciples said, I know who it is. It's the one who Jesus has been snubbing. It's the one who Jesus gives a hard time. It's the one who Jesus has turned a cold shoulder to. I know who it is. No, no, no. Jesus loved this man. That's why he washed his feet. 
So I showed grace to Judas over and over again. I learned from this passage that no matter what choices people make, God loves every one of them, and we should too. We should too. Man, we've got to make sure that we are obeying this new commandment that he's given to us, that we love one another. Because a person may go to hell unsaved, but he'll never go to hell unloved. Principle number six. God's justice is forever sure. Look at John chapter 13 and verse 30 with me. Scripture says, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. Now, it's interesting that John added the next three words. You know, really, that's enough, isn't it? I mean, to me, the end of the story is he immediately went out. But it's almost as if John added these words to let us know, and it was night. Judas had crossed the line. Mercy turned to judgment. Judas was determined to betray Jesus, and Jesus was determined to die for the sins of mankind. Judas went out after this, and shortly after this, he hung himself. And we're reminded again what Jesus said about Judas in Matthew 26 and verse 24. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. If a man is not born twice, he'll die twice. And if he's not born twice, I promise you, church, there'll come a day when he will have wished he was never born even once. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus As your personal Savior, is he your Lord and Master? You see, these six principles mean a lot to me. And if you were to ask me this morning, you know, preacher, you do seem to keep a pretty upbeat spirit in very difficult days. Surely you've pastored a church that's had a lot of ups and downs, turbulent times. Oh, I have, and I could, the list could go much longer than the list of things happening in the world today. Over 29 years of pastoring this church, I have had enough that you might think, why in the world didn't he walk away? Why didn't he quit? Why didn't he give up throwing the towel? I'll be honest with you, because of these principles. That's why. Honestly, these principles mean so much to me that that, that I understand that in spite of all the evil in the world today, in spite of all of the things that happen in our lives, there is a God, and he's Yahweh, and he's in control. He's always in control. That God, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, is never surprised. He's always in control. And while he allows man to choose, man is responsible for his choice. And God continues to love people even when they do wrong, even when they do evil. God continues to love those that even when they do wickedly. But God, church, will judge the world. God's justice is for sure. And all of that tells me this. Eric, all of that tells me this. All of that should tell you this. That whatever happens, whatever comes across the news tomorrow, whatever bad news you personally get this week, all of that tells me this. Just keep preaching Jesus. Just keep preaching Jesus.
He's in control. He's not surprised. Eric, just keep preaching Jesus. The message doesn't change. Times change. Seasons change. Things change. Presidents change. Democrat, Republican. Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Man, that, that, that means a lot to me. That means a lot to me. And I hope it means a lot to you. You know, church, it might be good for us to end where we started. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. I wonder today if there might be someone here today that would say, Pastor, I, whew, I, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I, I don't know that I have ever accepted the grace of God in my life. I, I don't know that I've, I've come to the place where I've, I've made the choice to turn from my sin. It is a choice. It is a choice to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. Has there been a time where you've made him Lord of your life? Or you have accepted the sacrifice of his blood atonement for your sin? He loves you. He loves you. You say, Pastor, I had someone tell me this not long ago. When I was witnessing to them, they very clearly and passionately said, it's not for me. You don't get it. I have done too much wrong to ever receive anything like that. I don't deserve it. And I said, you don't deserve it, and neither do I. God, in his mercy, extends grace to those of us who have sinned, period. And he extends it to you this morning. And if you're in this building this morning, and you have never truly accepted Christ, and you've not been saved, born again, you've never been born twice. That's what that means, to be born the first time, like little Ezekiel. But every day we'll pray that Ezekiel will be born again. Born twice. Have you been born twice? Have you been born again? As the old song says, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you haven't, I encourage you this morning to accept Christ as your Savior. Oh, walk this aisle maybe, or or I'll be in the lobby after the service. I would be honored to spend extra time or find someone to speak with you while I'm Speaking with someone else will be available this week. I want to announce to you that two people on our campus this week met Jesus as their Savior. I think it ought to be. You know, I'd like to think it should be difficult to come on this church campus and not have somebody ask you if you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friday, we had a gentleman on campus from another state, California. And by the way, when you're from California, there's more reason to ask. Just kidding. Just kidding. I really am just kidding. My wife's from California. Okay. I loved it. We're in this meeting. How close with this? We're having a meeting, and it's pretty serious meeting about the college and marketing some things and the distance education. There's a lot to the meeting. It was, it was pretty heavy. We were telling the gentleman goodbye after, and our associate pastor, Jeremy Horton, I heard him say to that man, Brad, it's great to have you on campus today. Thanks for coming. Can I ask you something? Do you know Jesus? 
Is he your personal Savior? I said, Jeremy, way to go, buddy. Let's not let anybody come on this campus that we don't know and ask him. Because I guarantee you, if I did not know you, Millie, and I asked you, Millie, do you know Jesus? What would you say? Yes. And you wouldn't have a problem with the question. But if you didn't know Jesus, man, and I missed that opportunity. So this morning, I want to make it a little difficult for you to leave without having an opportunity to be saved. We're extending to you the opportunity today to say yes to Jesus. Just like Jeremy told Brad, are you sure? And praise God, Brad from California said yes. Amen. But maybe this morning you would have to say no. Receive Christ today. He loves you. He died for you. And if you've received Christ, the invitation is for you as well to come and just let's worship him as King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no other name. I mean, listen, when we sing this song in a moment, it's one of my all-time favorites. I'm so thankful that God led Jordan to sing it. It's been a while. If you are a Christian today, would you sing this song with absolute adoration? Because we serve a God who is sovereign over this earth and in total control. And let's worship him as we conclude this service. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that you've given me this morning to stand and proclaim the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And to know, Jesus, that as your word goes forth, it is impossible for it to return void. Touch hearts, touch lives, change hearts. Make a difference today. May everybody in this building, saved and lost, feel extremely loved by Jesus, by you. Oh, Father, I pray that you would change hearts and change lives and even change destinations this morning by your grace. I pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Shall we stand together?